Hey, jumping in here to share one quick announcement. This episode marks a new partnership between Man Made and the Nectar Podcast Network. My name is Wesley Luttrell, the new producer of Man Made and founder of the Southern Indiana-based Nectar. At Nectar, we believe that good conversation nourishes the soul. The name in Greek means drink of the gods. As the podcasting wing of the independent record label Wally Opus Records, we provide the same technical and conceptual approach to podcasting as we do to making music. To learn more, visit wallyopus.com forward slash podcast. Nectar, drink up. Hello, friends. You know what time it is. Time to find your balls. Lost mine for a while. Been looking for them, obviously. So, found them, and we're back. That's a half-truth. I'm back. But we lost Greg. Saw it coming, not going to lie to you. He retired and is also a grandfather. And I have seen what becoming a grandparent does to even the strongest of men. Turns them into just little sweethearts and that happened to Greg and he is fully retired and he is off being a grandfather. I'm sure we'll get him back in the chair from time to time. But in the meantime, it's me behind the driver's seat, Jeff Stuckey. Lots has happened since last we spoke. So I'm just going to take this episode to kind of bring you back up to speed because I know that you have just been sitting around worrying about me. Anyway, so this is what, what's been going on with me, fought death and won. Yeah, so that was cool. Long story, short story, I guess I'll do the long version. Two years ago? Yeah, about two years ago. I don't know if I ever talked about this on the podcast, but I talked shit to 50. It was like, 50, I'm turning 50, I'm going to blah, blah, whatever. So started doing this different kind of exercise called the Orange Theory. Highly recommend it if you haven't done it. Just don't do it the way that I did it. Started doing it every morning, five o'clock in the morning. I'm a fucking beast. And so over a period of time, developed some tendonitis in my Achilles. That's what my doctor tells me. And then somehow along the way, a blood clot developed in my calf. And I didn't really know anything about blood clots, didn't know how scared I should have been about having a blood clot. The ultrasound tech that did my ultrasound, she informed me. Her comment to me upon performing the ultrasound was, wow, we don't normally see people like you still alive. So yeah, so it didn't kill me. But I do have to wear this super sexy compression stocking now. <clears throat> so if you see me out and about in my stocking, don't think I'm cool. It's not a cool thing. It's a necessity thing. Yeah. So then, and apparently, well, none of the medical professionals have been able to explain this to me, but let's, we'll say a year and a half later, I... Came home from work one day and had a 
wild pain in my chest and initially didn't really think it was anything, but then it was something. The proverbial pain radiating down my left arm and holy shit, I'm going to be a statistic. It looks like I'm going to die today. That was not on my list of things to do. So went to the emergency room, put me in the hospital. Things got fast. They told me that I would be having a heart cath in the morning and hoped that stents would solve the problem, but was probably looking at open heart surgery. So what in the fuck? Yeah. So the, the ride down to the heart cath lab in my gown and nothing else kissed my dignity goodbye that day. That was a long walk. And the, the biggest thing in my mind was just the now potential reality that I was never going to see my kids again. Uh, that was the piercing thought. That was the, just the emotion that was associated with that thought I have never felt before. And I hope I never feel it again, but it was definitely interesting. Anyway, go to the heart, go to the cath lab, partial sedation. The cardiologist who was a Eastern Indian fellow, just a incredible, wonderful guy. You know, he's giving me whatever reassurances. And then uh, then he wakes me up and he says, your heart, it's beautiful. You have the heart of an 18 year old and it's no, there's no clotting. He went on to rave about the condition of my heart to which prompted me in my partially sedated state to say, well, fucking, I thought I was dying. Like, what are we doing here? Uh, so anyway, get uh, discharged from the hospital with no medical explanation for what has happened. So that's cool, right? Going through all that shit and then finding out, well, we don't really know what happened. So um, that kind of fucked with me for a little bit. Not going to lie. You spend a few days completely preoccupied with am I having another heart attack or whatever it was that I had. And yeah, so that was interesting and it did create a pretty significant, I would say, existential crisis for me. You kind of fucking think about things when you almost die, when you're about, when you think you're about to die and then on the back end of, okay, I didn't die. What do I do now? And it was interesting. The You know, one of the quotes, I'm a quote guy, you all know that, in my post-religious experience, one of the quotes that I, I hang a lot on, it just gives me great peace about what's next. It's attributed to Marcus Aurelius. Most people say there's no evidence that he said it, but anyway, I like it. I'm going to give it credit to him because I think that sounds fancy. But the quote is, death smiles at us all. All we can do is smile back. And that has always, pre-religion, I was like, am I saved? Did I pray the sinner's prayer right? Am I going to go to heaven? Am I going to Am I going to end up in the other place? Oh man, if I end up in the other place. And frankly, for me, living forever stressed me the fuck out anyway. Like that's a long ass time, like forever, right? Uh, and I think logically it never made any real sense to me. But the quote, death smiles at us, all we can do is smile back, 
really helped me contemplate the inevitability of it, right? Every one of us, from the second that we started breathing, we started dying, and we were moving closer to death. And it was interesting on our way to the emergency room thinking, and at that point, I really did think, okay, this is it. Like, I have never known pain like this. I, this is, I'm, I think I'm going to pass out. And I remember vividly just thinking, wow, life went better than I thought it was going to. That I did some stuff. Like I've got some things that I'm personally proud of and I feel like I contributed. Hopefully that's not delusional thinking. Hopefully that I feel like there's enough evidence that I have helped some clients along the way. And the other piece of it was that I was just not, prepared to never see my kids again. I just, it just, for me, fatherhood has been the single most meaningful experience far and away. Like there's nothing. And I'm a professional person. I love my career. I love the work that I do. I think I have a lot left to do professionally. That's strong. My friendships are very strong. I love my friends. My friends love me. That is an incredibly meaningful experience. But being a father and the relationship that I have with my kids is the single most significant experience, meaningful experience I've had. And all of my kids are mostly adulting. The two oldest girls are fully adulting. And my son's well on his way. So that's exciting. But the thought of never seeing them again was now, it it was in that moment that I understood why the belief of living forever was desirable. Not that I would want to live forever, but just the fact that now I'm not ever going to see my kids again. I can see why people adhere to a view of eternity and want some sort of eternal existence. There's some contradictions there that I won't get into at this point, particularly within the Protestant movement, but because I think my kids are supposed to be strangers or something in heaven or whatever. But anyway, in a sense, I think I was ready to smile back at death. I wasn't terrified. My thinking in terms of death being inevitable and, yep, it's coming for me. Um, I'd like to outrun it a little longer. Uh, I wasn't terrified. I wasn't anything like that. So for what that's worth, the other thing that I started to think about a lot, and I'm a bit fixated on this and will probably be the topic of many future podcasts. And we've talked about this some in the past. We, I think we even had an episode, the enemy of good is better and is good. What is the point of good enough? When do I have enough? When do I, when have I achieved enough? When have I done those sorts of things? And then the best life ever, if you will, proposition that, you know, I'm striving and the point of diminishing return to striving. When does it, when is my life good enough? When is it time to just tap out and say, I don't need to work harder. I don't need to, I don't need bigger. I don't need better. I'm in a good place. And I don't have, I think in the midst of that, just contemplating, okay, now at 52 years old and in pretty good physical health, thankfully, and 
maybe I need to do, maybe I do need to take a little bit better care of myself emotionally. My day job is a bit stressful and there's probably have neglected some of my emotional needs unknowingly, but something that I do need to take a look at. Is my life good enough? Is it as good as it can be? Or is it good enough? I think societally we are getting lost in the striving. I think we're getting lost in what's just, I get inundated with best life ever and best version of me and all of that, which is so funny to me because it's like, if somebody was actually living their best life ever, do they have to fucking post about it so much? Is that like these people that are always going on and on about how fucking great their lives are? I don't, if I'm living such a great life, I don't think I'm taking time out to post about it and fucking, anyway, that's a whole nother rant. But I definitely, one of the takeaways for me, after smiling at death was I'm over-functioning on the striving side and not living my life consciously enough of the fact that the enemy of good is better, that there is a point of diminishing return to all of that. And it definitely refocused me on my highest value is with my kids. Raising them, certainly, uh, was a highest value, but then now enjoying them and enjoying their lives as adults and sitting back and marveling in their accomplishments and taking that in. So that's, it's, there's others, there's definitely other things that I thought about as I came to trust the fact that I wasn't going to die and that I do have more time left and want to maximize that time. But one of the things that I would certainly urge you to consider, and I think this is, this is, it's not new. This is probably the age old problem, but what are we really, what is all the striving about? What, and for you personally, for me, and that's where I'm having to go back and make this like very specific is what, what is, what are my markers for good enough? What is the, what is it where it's okay? This is good enough. I don't need to see more clients. I don't need to put more money in the bank. I don't need whatever it is, but I'm really having to take some time to make that very tangible and practical for me. And then lastly, live like you're dying, doing some things that I have been putting off that I just, I'm a cliche now. And hopefully through some of that experience, maybe I can motivate you to maybe take some chances or sit back and rest in confidence of whatever success you're having and enjoying the ride. But at least we can start working through that together. Looking forward to what's coming with the podcast. I'm going to be collaborating a lot with a very close colleague of mine, Amy McAllister. She and I used to practice together in Dallas. She's now in Denver. And so we've always wanted to talk more about male-female dynamics, those kinds of things. She will actually be the next podcast. Then 
sitting down actually this week. I don't know when this one will go to air, but and doing a podcast with my kids and just asking them to, now that they're adults, to give me the feedback on what I did well, what I fucked up with as a father, and explore just a little bit what it's like to be raised by a therapist, the goods, the bads, and everything in between with that. Good to be back. Glad to be back. And you will be hearing much more from me soon.